0: All right, look up here at the screens. I want to show you a picture. Look at this picture and tell me, do you see birds or tortoises? Wait. Let's do it this way. Which is dominant for you? Raise your hand if you see the birds most easily. Okay, hands down. If you see the turtles more easily, raise your hands. Okay, very good. Very good. It's usually more on the birds. What about this one? Uh, Raise your hand when you see the elephants. Okay, hands down. Now raise your hand when you see the upside-down elephants. It takes just a little bit longer. Isn't that cool? That's a kind of drawing called tessellation. It's a process where math becomes an art. By the way, it's your first fancy word of the day, boys and girls. You get to learn the word tessellation. On the count of three, you get to say it. Tessellation. One, two, three. Very good. Uh, Notice how hard it is to see both aspects of a tessellated picture at the same time. That's what's fascinating about them. Both attributes are there. Both parts of the drawing are there, but human eyes have an incredibly difficult time seeing both parts at once because they're interconnected in a way we can't fathom. In theology, in the Bible, there's a kind of tessellation as well. We see it in the nature of Jesus. It's the beautiful picture where God becomes man. And ever since that very first Christmas 2,000 years ago, humans have struggled to see both aspects of Jesus at the same time. So, wise people made up a fancy theological term that means Jesus is fully God and fully human at the same time. This word is hypostatic union. It's your second fancy word for the day. Boys and girls, you get to say hypostatic union on the count of three. Jesus, fully God, fully man. Hypostatic union. One, two, three. Hypostatic union. Very nicely done. We can manage to focus on his deity, or we can manage to focus on his humanity, but we really struggle to see both together. Jesus appears to us like the woman who is standing in this art piece that's on the slide right now. Now look at it. Is this woman in the room with the puzzle solver, or is she part of the puzzle? You see, the artist has drawn it very cleverly in such a way that the answer is both. Both. And that's how we must learn to see Jesus. He is both God and man. He is fully outside our human puzzle, solving it for us. And he is in the puzzle picture with us at the same time. Now, this year we have designated our Advent studies to focus on the, uh, on the humanity of Jesus. Of course, you may ask why this is so important. You may, in fact, be whispering to the person next to you in that aggrieved head elf voice that you like to use. Um... Kirby, why is the person, the preacher up there stirring up trouble? Why go into all this when we still have toys to put together? Great question. Thank you for asking. I'm doing this for you and for me. This is not an intellectual exercise. This is really important for our lives. Here on Christmas Eve, we're briefly examining one particular aspect of Jesus' humanity, that he was needy. And from him, we're going to learn maturity through neediness. That's hard to envision, isn't it? It's hard to imagine maturity through neediness because you are and I am enmeshed in a lie. This lie is all around us. It is within us. I put it there in your, uh, in your notes. you got a worship guide when you came in. Open it up. You look on the left-hand side. You'll see these few notes. And the first thing is, the lie is that successful people aren't needy. It's one of the great lies that people believe. If one is needy, one cannot be successful. A friend of mine is a vice president of a Fortune 500 company. A few years ago, he had a heart attack I went to see him in ICU. After everybody else left the room for a moment, he pulled me aside and he grabbed my hand and he said, Wayne, is there any way we can keep this news quiet from my company? If they see me as weak or broken, my career's ruined. Close quote. He said that because to people, success equals fleeing all neediness, right? Humans prefer the stereotypes you see in your notes, and it's always been this way. In the world Jesus entered, they respected the ancient, non-needy stereotype, which really was probably best captured by a hero named Achilles. It is your third fancy word for the day, boys and girls. If you've never heard of him, you should know him. His name is Achilles. On the count of three, one, two, three. Achilles, Achilles or the chili heel. That's right, if you've seen Lady in the Tramp. He was a great warrior for the Greeks in the Trojan War. I want you to look at some terms. This is how Homer, the brilliant writer Homer, uh, a couple thousand, 800 years ago, uh, described Achilles. He gave him this term, aristos. Aristos means being the best. You are the best, not just the best at something, but whatever is called for in any situation. And then Homer said uh, Achilles was those are, um, those, are like, those are like quests in your video games. Okay, they're, they're, they're exploits that you do that gain you prestige. We even call them prestige in video games, don't we? You gain prestige. Okay, that's, that's, that's aresteia. And then arete is a beautiful, beautiful word. I don't have time to go into it fully today, but it, it, summary means it's merit. It is, it is rewards that are bestowed on you by other people for the exploits you have done. That's what we all want. And by the way, that is fine. It is not inherently evil to desire success or merit. The problem is that we today forget something that Homer remembered. Every human has an Achilles heel, right? We are flawed as humans. And in our desperate desire not to appear needy, all we're doing is trying to cover our discomfort of being flawed. We want to pretend to be perfect. All you adult men and women out there, tell us, kids, does pretending to be perfect ever work, yes or no? No, it does not. The spear always finds our weak spot just as it did with Achilles. Now, give the classical people some credit. At least they recognize this, and they built neediness into the heels of their heroes. Not so with us. Just consider our modern non-needy stereotype Chuck Norris, right? Um, Think about your... It takes a minute, doesn't it? Yeah. This, this is one of my favorite Chuck Norris jokes. Um, here's, a, here's a few of my other favorites. This, is, this one's classic. Chuck Norris, born May 7, 1945. Germany surrendered May 8, 1945. <laughs> Coincidence? I think not. Um, the flu has to get Chuck Norris shots once a year. This, one, this one's great. There is no theory of evolution, just a list of creatures Chuck Norris has allowed to live. And then when Chuck Norris does push-ups, he doesn't push himself up. He forces the earth down. <laughs> now, these, these Chuck Norris jokes are silly, but they expose something true about us. We want to be completely in charge and never in need. And by the way, actually, this is not true of Chuck. Uh, in real life, he believes in Jesus. Chuck actually admits his neediness, and he recognizes that that neediness is met in Jesus the Savior. My friend Dan Russ uh, highlights how we all need to do that. We all need to admit our need, just like the real Chuck Norris. Otherwise, you know what happens? We never interact correctly with the real Jesus. Uh, Look at what Dr. Russ wrote. I put it in your notes there. He says, All human beings are strong and weak, adequate and needy. Wise people, honest people are willing to acknowledge both, understanding that weaknesses are nothing to be ashamed of. Close quote. The truth is that we are all in need. All of us. That's what I wrote at the the top of the right side of your notes. We're all in need. If you've got a Bible with you, open it to Mark chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. You can look right up here. Mark chapter 2. Let's read verses 16 and 17. Second book of your New Testament, chapter 2, verse 16. Let's go there. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he, Jesus, was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, Those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. We are in need. The sooner one realizes that, the better. Salvation can only come to those who recognize that they are needy. One must first realize that he is lost before he can be found. I want to show you a Christmas comic strip. It captures our human condition, I think, really, really well in our modern expression of it. Uh, This is from the old Sally Forth comic strip. Sally's Holiday Guide, get a GPS unit for long car trips. Look what the GPS unit is saying to them. You are lost. You have rejected any and all philosophies and faiths, and so now are adrift and alienated in a world you alone define but cannot comprehend. Ho, ho, ho. Your mom and dad can explain it to you later, but that is brilliant. That is a really good GPS. You have to know the truth of your need before anybody can help you. As I wrote this message, uh, kids, in my study, my puppy, Mr. Monk, demanded that he be allowed up onto my lap. This is a regular occurrence for Mr. Monk. He spends many, many hours every day. As I am at my desk writing and typing and, and reading, he comes and he, he scratches at my leg until I notice him, and then I move and he jumps up in my lap. I usually put a pillow there, and he settles down and and relaxes in my lap. In fact, it's really hard for me to get typing done a lot of times because you know what he does? Does your dog do this? He, he waits until I'm thinking for a minute, my arm is still, and then he puts his paw on my arm and pulls it down, and then he puts his head on my arm. <sighs> And he sighs. And you, you know the law, right? I mean, when a dog sighs on you, you can't move. I mean, that, it's got to be in the Bible somewhere. I mean, that's, that, you, you know that. It's not. But the idea is certainly true. So he, he does that. Now listen, Mr. Monk enjoys a very, very warm relationship with me because he is always in fellowship with me, reveling in the fact that he needs me. You show me a person who really follows Jesus somebody who enjoys rich fellowship with God, and I will show you someone who is not ashamed of his or her need. That's the person who wisely rests in the arms of the master. Amen? Now, that brings up the good question there in our notes. Look in your notes. Doesn't it diminish humans to say that we're needy? By the way, this is what's really behind uh, secular humanist atheism, a horror over the idea of being needy. Look, look at this cartoon. This is ridiculous. Boys and girls, look at this one. Uh, a man's in the hospital. They built a kind of barn over him, and the doctor is saying to his wife, you can stop worrying about your husband, Mrs. Del Roe. He's going to be fine now that we have him in a stable condition. Oh, it's just awful. Terrible pun. That's just for you, Mandy, being back in town. Um, <clears throat> What makes the joke work is the poor guy in the stable, right? Nobody wants to have a barn. Nobody wants to be in stable condition except Jesus, right? Jesus chose to come to us in stable condition, and that changed everything. Doesn't it diminish humans to say we're needy? The answer is no. Jesus, the ultimate human, was needy. The Messiah came as a baby born in a garage, here, let me, let me quickly prove to you Jesus' human neediness. You're still in Mark, right? Okay, uh, turn over to chapter 11. Just go to chapter 11. Let's just read one verse. Chapter 11 of Mark, uh, we're going to read verse 12. Mark 11, verse 12. In fact, why don't we all read it together? Uh, you can see it on the slide. Mark chapter 11, verse 12, all together. The next day when they came out from Bethany, he, Jesus, was hungry. The, the context, by the way, is all about the... the Jewish government rejecting Jesus, Messiah. Uh, but, but for today, let's just zoom in on the last word. What's the last word, boys and girls? Hungry. You've been hungry, right? It's a basic sign of humanity. And hunger is an elemental need. Jesus, Messiah, God the Son, was hungry. Hungry. Now, that tells us quite clearly he was needy, just like all people. Since the day of his birth, Jesus was always human, and thus he is subject to human needs. Stephen Mahan wrote a really marvelous poem. I think it captures the impact and import of Jesus, the needy human baby. Look at this. Manger wetter is what he called it. Wrinkled, crinkled, red-skinned squirmer, famished squealer. Manger wetter. Gabriel salutes you. Michael bows. We here in Bethlehem bed you with cows." Now, I talk about the neediness of Jesus, the manger wetter, and I'll admit that it causes many of us to squirm, right? It troubles us because you and I were brought up, we were brought up singing this. The cattle are lowing, the, sing it with me. You know the tune. The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying, he makes. Stop the music. That is ridiculous. That is utterly nonsense. He's a human child. Of course he cried. Of course he wet the manger straw. Whoever, whoever wrote that no crying silliness has got to be related to the goofball who said Santa Claus is coming to town so you better not cry. We were raised on thinly disguised attempts to manipulate child behavior. That's really the truth is what it was. Now children should learn to behave. They should. But little Lord Jesus not crying. That is awful theology. Manger wetter is much more accurate. Now, don't don't go home and tear away in a manger out of your family songbook. Please don't throw tomatoes when cute little kids sing it on stage at church. Just write this reality on your heart, okay? Jesus, the ultimate human, was needy. Far from diminishing humans, it completes our truthfulness when we admit that we're hungry, that we're needy. I was chatting about all this with Ken Bergstadt, a retired pastor whom we're blessed to have as a member here. And Ken suggested this rewrite. Sing it with me now with these words instead. The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, loud crying he makes. That is much, much, much better. I love John MacArthur's little book, God With Us. Listen to what Pastor MacArthur says. I like this so much I put it in your notes. He says, I don't suppose anyone can ever fathom what it means for God to be born in a manger. How can one explain the almighty stooping to become a tiny infant? Nor can anyone explain how God could become a baby, yet he did. Without forsaking his divine nature or diminishing his deity in any sense, he was born into our world as a tiny infant. People often ask me if I think he cried or if he needed the normal care and feeding one would give any other baby. Of course he did. He was fully human with all the needs and emotions that are common to every human. Close quote. With another friend of mine, I was discussing how neediness does not diminish humanity. And in our dialogue, she wrote me probably my favorite comment I've received all year. She said, Wayne, the truth is that people are needy. A fish isn't diminished because it can't breathe air. An elephant isn't less majestic because it can't fly. Besides, imagine what elephant droppings from 100 feet would do to the windshield of your car. (laughs) Here's the bottom line regarding Jesus' human neediness. Jesus became like us. We're going to close with this. Jesus became like us so we could grow up like him. We are meant to be maturing like Jesus. Uh, the, the, the maturation process for Christians is really beautifully captured in, in one verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Who is the head of all Christians? Who's the head of all Christians? Jesus Christ and we're supposed to grow up into him that means we become like him now think this through think this through if we're to mature like Jesus we ought to take a look at how Jesus matured right and Jesus maturation is brilliantly captured in the next book over in your Bible in the in the gospel of Luke let's read Luke chapter 2 verse 52 and I tell you what we're going to read it all together from the the 1984 NIV version I think it has really majestic uh summary verbiage I really like it so let's read it together Luke chapter 2 verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor, God and men. Jesus grew in wisdom. That means he learned. He became skillful at living. He grew in intellect and increasingly applied that intellect. So should we. Jesus grew in stature. He physically filled out. He took care of his body. So should we. Jesus grew in favor with God the Father. He worshiped as a human. He memorized scripture. He lived a holy life. So should we. And we can only do so through Jesus. He came to sacrifice. him. Do you know this? He came to sacrifice himself on the cross to pay for our human sin. And he rose from the dead so that any who believe in him could have an eternally favorable relationship with God. All God's people said? Fourth thing. Jesus grew in favor with people. He had friends. He was real and enjoyable and sought after and funny We should grow in friendships as well. Jesus is fully human. He is honest about his needs, and yet he grows perfectly. His essential humanity leads to maturity, not immaturity. Because he is the God-man, he opens the same possibility for every one of us. So look at the objective for this study. It's Like always, it's there in your worship guide. Look on the left-hand side. Our life-change objective, that you and I grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with people. I know it's a pretty lofty goal. But by God's grace, we can achieve that objective. We can become like Jesus who matured through his needy humanity. To that end, play, pray with me, please. Let's, uh, let's pray together. God, I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters in Christ that we learn maturity through our neediness. It's the, it's the only way to grow up into Jesus. Jesus. Help us learn maturity, especially how Jesus, you alone, meet our true needs. Real maturity is not found in the foolish, false bravado. But it's found in neediness that grows up in Christ. And I pray that. I pray that for me and for every one of my friends in Jesus. And Lord, speaking of being in Jesus, I pray for those who do not not grow up in Jesus because they don't trust him. Look, guys, you cannot grow in Jesus unless you first accept His sacrifice. The Bible's very clear on this. It's profound and yet simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you're saved. You become in Christ. You get to grow up in Him. You get a forever favorable relationship with God. Listen, you are a sinner. You are. You're not holy. God is. But He loves you so much that He made a way for you. He God the Son came, and He willingly died on the cross to pay for sin. And then He rose from the dead so that everyone who trusts Him could could have this everlasting life, this eternally favorable relationship with God. You trust Him right now. Just talk to God. Confess that that you're needy and that your salvation is found in Jesus, whom you trust. In whom you believe. If you just prayed to trust Jesus as Savior, raise your hand. Everybody else is still praying. I just want to rejoice with you. Good. Amen. Excellent. Father, I pray for all of these believers in Christ, especially that fourth thing that we talked about in maturation the favor with people. Got a lot of families, a lot of relationships, a lot of coworkers, a lot of people we interact with at Christmas time. And I pray that we can, we can honor you by having favor with people. I thank you for our church. I thank you for the offering we're about to take. And I ask you to bless each of us through all that you do in us. In Jesus' name, amen.